This is episode two of a three-part series on salvation. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, called Fallen, I recommend that you go back and start there, as it's the foundation for today's episode. In that episode, we talked about man's fallen nature and the biblical account of its origin. We saw that, as the Bible says, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. We saw that God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that he gave them one commandment not to eat of a certain tree, and yet they willfully disobeyed him, and their disobedience caused a curse to come upon all mankind. It was not only affecting just them, but their children and their children's children. And we see that the Bible says that all men all descended from Adam and Eve, and so all of us are under the curse of sin and death. So what were the primary effects of this curse of sin? The most prominent is that we are separated from God. You see, God is righteous, and he is holy, and he expects his children to be the same. You see in the Bible, he says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's holiness represents his absolute moral purity. He's perfect, which means that he cannot sin, nor can he tolerate sin. He says there, you shall be holy, which is a command. God commands us to be holy, to be absolutely morally perfect. And God expects that from us. And yet each and every single one of us from birth is already under the curse of sin. And all of our daily actions, the way that we act, are all unrighteous. See, if we were to be perfectly righteous, that would mean that we followed God's holy standard in all of our actions. But yet, all of us are not. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short. Another scripture says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. So, if you think about us in this condition of unrighteousness, standing before a perfectly holy, a perfectly moral God who's pure and clean and righteous, we have a problem because God cannot accept us. He cannot just, you know, look over our sins or justify us as we are. Because if he did that, he wouldn't be perfectly holy. If he did that, he would be going against his own nature because we are indeed sinful. So he cannot simply ignore our sin. He knows everything in the universe. God is is an all-knowing God. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so when we think of our sin, we sort of minimize it. You know, we can see a few of our flaws, but imagine God who's perfect and holy and righteous. He can see every single one of our flaws, even in the intents, intents of our heart. And so it wouldn't be okay for God to just okay our sin. You know, I think of it like a judge. If you were to think of a judge in a courtroom and, and in front of him is somebody who's guilty, you would call that judge a corrupt judge if he freed that person knowing that he was actually guilty, right? I mean, and you can take it a step further and, and try to imagine a perfect judge, a perfectly righteous judge. If there was a perfectly righteous judge, even if his own son was before him in the courtroom, He would convict him of the sin or the guilt if he knew that he was, in fact, guilty. And so this is the position we're in. We stand before a perfect and a holy God as fallen creatures, and it's it's incumbent upon him. It's part of his character to be holy and pure and clean, and so he must judge our sin 
for what it is. So we're separated from God. You know, it's a pretty deep thing to be separated from God. If you, if you look throughout the scriptures and, and search, you'll see that it shows that mankind has three parts. We have a body, which is our flesh. It's often called in the Bible. That's our taste, our touch, our feel, our senses, our connection to the world, the physical world. The next thing it talks about is our soul. Our soul is the thing that makes us unique. Our soul is the thing that chooses. It's our will. It's the thing that says, I'm going to do this. That's our soul. And the last thing that we have is a spirit. The spirit is what connects us to the spiritual world. It's what connects us to God. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the death that happened when we sinned or, or when we sin is a separation, a death of our spirit. Of course, all of us are going to die physically at the end of our lives, but spiritually we die much sooner because our connection with God is cut off because of the sin nature inside of us. You see, if we look back at the commandment, um, it gives us some insight on this that God gave Adam and Eve. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice what the name of the tree was. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, before man ate from this tree, they relied on God's commands. They obeyed him completely, and they were perfectly righteous. But when they disobeyed him and ate of this tree, not only did they bring a curse upon them by, by disobeying him, but also they became awake morally. And they began to recognize their guilt before God. That's why we see in the story that Adam and Eve began to sow fig leaves and hide themselves from God. Because once you know you're guilty, it causes a separation between you and the judge. It causes a separation between you and God because your conscience is guilty before him. So sin separates us. We inherit this sin nature from Adam And it constantly causes us to sin against God. It's not that we don't have any choice. It's actually we do have a choice, but it's in our very nature. So if we let off there, we'd be pretty hopeless. I mean, the Bible says, and says, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden him from your face so that he will not hear. So this is the state we're in. And it's really a pretty hopeless state. Sinners before a holy God. But if you read a little bit further, you'll see one other thing. The Bible says that God is a loving God. Not only that, it says that God is love. In other words, an essential part of his character is not just perfect moral uh, uh, purity, but it's also love. So can a loving God, can an all-powerful God, can a God who's not only righteous but also loving allow his children to live in sin to that As a father, I answer no. No, a loving God would reach after him. A loving God would try to save his children. And this is exactly what the Bible says God the Father did, that he tried to intervene for his children. Now, if you want to think about that, how can can a righteous God intervene and, and help his children? I mean, they have to have free will to sin because if they don't have free will, If God forces them to be perfect, then they're not going to be able to love him because love cannot be forced. It's a free will thing. We have to choose to love somebody. And so what does God do? Well, 
if you think back of the judge uh, instance of, of the vision of a judge, imagine a judge and he has uh, his very own son standing before him. And he finds that his son, his child, his daughter is guilty of sin. And he's going to be a perfectly righteous judge. What that means is that he's going to convict that, that child of sin because it's true, because he knows it's true. And he cannot uh, let him go because then he would be unrighteous. But what if he could do something else? What if instead of letting him go, he could actually pay the price, pay the penalty for that child? And indeed, even though he's convicted, he can also pay the penalty so that the child could be released and could be freed. This is called redemption. This is exactly what God did. You know, when we look at God's judgment, when we see what happens, God's judgment, when it meets with his love, the result of that is a divine sacrifice. We see that his righteous judgment compels him to judge sinful men. We see that his love, his love towards us, compelled him to offer us a way of salvation. See, man was guilty of sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin are death. But it says that God provided a way of escape. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, God gave to redeem those who he loved. It was his own nature that expressed, turned into the son of God coming to die on our behalf. Because the wages of sin... The, the, the sentence that you get when you commit sin is death. And so instead of allowing us to die, he sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven for our sins, so that our punishment can be paid and he can remain a just and holy and righteous God. And so this is redemption. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about salvation. The very act of giving we call grace. It's the grace of God. It's, it's God's unmerited favor. It's God giving to us even though we were undeserving. The Bible says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So God saw us in this predicament of, of being born in sin, of, of having a sinful nature. And he said, you know what? I'm going to provide an alternative. I'm going to give out of my nature of love, my very own son, the one who is most valuable to me. And I'm going to send him to earth to die on the cross for these, for my creation in order that they could be saved, in order that they can be saved through Christ Jesus. This is grace. This is God's love displayed towards us. It's him showing that not only is he a perfect God, not only is he a righteous God, but he's a loving God and he loves his children. He will do whatever he can to allow us to be free from that guilt and that sin. If we look in the Bible, it says that basically this forgiveness, this grace that God uh, gave us by giving us his son allowed us to be forgiven of sins. And it says in the Bible, it says, him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. See, the whole problem we had before is that we were not right before God. We were not, we were not um, accounted holy before God, and he has commanded that. And so we were separated from him. But the fact that Jesus Christ came and died, if we will only believe on him, if we will believe on Jesus Christ, then even though we will be ungodly, we will be justified by our faith. 
So this is God's plan of salvation. This is God's plan to redeem us. The child's punishment was death. If you think again of the judge, he, he's standing, his child is standing before him. He knows he's guilty. He knows he needs to condemn him. His punishment is death. And yet he sent his son, his very own son. The judge sent his son to pay the price for our sins. This is what it means to have salvation. The Bible said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What a blessing it is indeed to, to think that someday we may stand before God himself and, and that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be accounted righteous. We will be accounted acceptable before God. That when we stand that, that last tribunal, when we're standing before God in the judgment day, that he would see uh, righteousness on us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of our faith in his son who he sent to save us, he will count us as righteous and we will have eternal life based on that righteousness. That is an amazing thing. And if you think of all of the sins you've, you've done in your past and, and how they would be forgiven, it's a blessing. It's an amazing thing. And to think that God would do that for us is even more amazing. But there is one thing left unsaid in salvation, which is this. Each and every one of us inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Each and every single one of us have a sinful nature. We, we are inclined to sin. And so salvation would not be perfect. Salvation would not be all that God could offer if he just forgave us of our past sins, but left us as sinners, left us in a position of hopelessness because we know that we're going to sin again and again and again, and we're going to continue to sin. So instead of just saving us and forgiving us for our past sins, God offered something even more in the gift of salvation. You see, God did more than, than just allow us off. But if you think back of that, that child, the child that's standing before their father, the judge, and you imagine that the judge has paid the sin, and you imagine that, that the sin is completely paid for, so the child is let off, and then all of a sudden the child goes out and starts committing more crimes, that's going to be a bad situation. And so instead of leaving us like that, God actually covered our sins, number one. And number two, he is going to empower us to overcome the sin nature inside of us so that we don't have to continue to be bound by the sinful nature that was given to us through Adam. And that is a full salvation. So to give you an example of how this works and, and how God does this, it's pretty amazing, really. If you look in the Bible, it says, when the kindness of the, and the love of our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So first, the kindness and love of God was shown because of the Savior that came, and he forgave us, not by our own works, but by his works, by our faith in him. Then it says, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you think back to the beginning of this episode when we were talking about the separation between God and man, remember that we were separated spiritually from God, that our spirit was cut off to him because of our sinful nature. Our spirit was dead because it was no longer communicating with God. It was, it was dead. There was no use for it. 
But once we are saved, once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all of a sudden there is no more sin that's separating God and man. So from within our spirit, we can begin to have fellowship with the Spirit of God again. That's why it says that we are uh, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out onto us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is the second step in salvation. Not only are our sins forgiven, but the Holy Spirit is poured out in our spirit. And so all of a sudden, the redeemed soul is regenerated. All of a sudden, the spirit comes back to life. And now the spirit of God can begin to have fellowship, can begin to implant things into us. Because see, the Bible says that God is a spirit. It says that those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And if we are going to worship God, we have to do it through our spirit. And an unsaved person cannot do that because they're dead in sins. But if you're saved, if you've accepted him, he's forgiven your past, your present, your future sins. And all of a sudden, he's also now very close to you. He's able to communicate to you in your spirit and begin to empower you to overcome the sin nature that is inside of you. See, the Bible says that if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Think about that. Your body, remember I said there's a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body is dead because of sin. It's your natural desires are still inclined to the sinful nature that was inherited from Adam. But then it says, but the spirit, okay, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, when the Spirit of God begins to impart into your spirit, all of a sudden, instead of producing death because of the sinful nature in the flesh, you begin to produce life, which is the Spirit of God being flown out onto your spirit and overflowing into your body. Look what else it says. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So before salvation, a man is dead. A man is dead. He's separated spiritually from God. But after salvation, after salvation, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now inside of your spirit and is able to empower you, quicken. That means to make alive your mortal bodies. In other words, to overcome any sin. This is the power of God. This is the essence of Christianity, forgiveness and empowerment to overcome the devil, to overcome the world, to overcome the flesh. It all comes from the grace of God, from his imparting power through your spirit and into you, which empowers you to stand up and if your soul begins to say and choose towards the spirit as opposed to the body instead of listening to your flesh instead of setting your mind on the things of the flesh you begin to set your mind on the things of the spirit your life your body will even begin to to produce life because you will be obeying God instead of obeying the sinful nature which came from Adam you see when God offers salvation he doesn't offer a cheap salvation He didn't just, you know, gloss over your sins. He didn't make himself unrighteous by by just forgetting like that, pretending like you didn't do anything wrong. No, he sent his son and he sent his son not to just to save you from your old sins or your past sins, but he sent him to give you a salvation from from here until eternity to to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus and to give you the promise of eternal life. So today, if you call on Jesus 
he can provide you redemption, not only from your past sins, but he can also empower you to overcome the sin nature inside of you. Believe on him who justifies the ungodly, and your faith will be encountered for righteousness.